Hello and welcome to the programme. You can visit the website anytime you like, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. So, another busy Monday night show ahead of us tonight, and it's all focusing on Fota Wildlife Park, located on Fota Island near Carrigtool in County Cork, and covering 100 acres or 40 hectares in new money. Fota Wildlife Park is one of the leading wildlife attractions in Ireland, as well as one of its most important and popular tourist destinations, full stop, drawing nearly half a million visitors per year. It is unique amongst major Irish zoological experiences due to the fact that most of the resident animals roam in larger spaces and, in some cases, even amongst the visitors, allowing them to view the animals in a more natural environment than in traditional zoos. Now, the stated aim of Photo Wildlife Park is to inspire people to understand and conserve the biodiversity of our natural world. Its core values of conservation, education and research have ensured that it is uniquely placed to foster greater public understanding of the threats to plant and animal habitats and decreasing global biodiversity. But visiting the park, as I've done many times, is not just about an entertaining day out, but also about saving threatened creatures around the globe from extinction, as well as helping people to understand why these animals now find themselves in such precarious situations. Be it returning bison to the wild around Europe, rearing and releasing 7,000 of Ireland's most endangered amphibian species, the Natterjack Toad, or donating funds to a breeding programme to save the world's rarest duck, the Madagascar Pochard. FOTA is playing a key role in the survival of several species that are in grave danger of extinction. In 2023, the park will celebrate the 40th anniversary of its founding. In honour of this milestone on tonight's programme, we will speak to some of the key people at FOTA who are striving to pull endangered species back from the brink and will bring you details of some of the latest conservation and education projects that they are spearheading. On the panel tonight, Dr. Richard Collins at his home in Malahide and Niall Hatch at his home in Greystones. But now let's go to County Cork to say hello to Dr. Sean McKeown, Director of Photo Wildlife Park. Sean, thanks for joining us. Perhaps you might begin by telling us how it all started. Well, back in the early 80s, Dublin Zoo was looking to create another park outside of the, the city. They originally looked around Kildare, Meath and Wicklow. And at the same time, University College Cork had bought Photo Island and there was an arboretum there, which was open to the public, but they didn't have enough visitors. So they were looking at the possibility of starting a zoo there. So that's where the initial thoughts came around, Photo. And then that was 1981. But after about a year um, in 1982, it was agreed that they should develop the wildlife park in Photo Island between the two institutions basically set up, university gave the land and the zoological society provided the expertise and the people and the animals to set up the wildlife park. But why a wildlife park and not a zoo in the traditional sense like Dublin Zoo, for example? 
it was a period when people's concepts of zoos were changing or how they wanted to view animals. It was quite progressive back then. And in the memorandum of association, on the agreement between the university and the Zoological Society of Ireland, they specifically said that they they wanted it as a breeding centre to save species for the future of mankind. So it was slightly different than the zoo, who was much more of a public display at that stage. And people wanted to see animals with more space, with more enriched environments. That's really how photo came around. And one of the things we had difficulties at the beginning was people were coming in, walking around, and not seeing animals close up, but they were far away and uh, compared to a normal zoo. So people were complaining, say, in the first year or two. And then when a lot of the visitors got used to the concept and the ideas, they realised this was a much better place to come and view animals and that the animals would be in a more open, natural environment. The main difference when I walk around is that the animals are not in cages, they are outside, with the exception of one or two of the perhaps more dangerous species. So did you populate your own park with animals from the collection at Dublin Zoo or did you look further afield for animals that were more accustomed to sharing the outdoor space, if you like, with other animals and indeed humans? Um, no, there were there were mixtures of animals coming from various zoos and wildlife parks throughout Europe. Some of the giraffes that originally came actually came from the wild, but had been in a zoo in Southampton for two or three years. So they were, I suppose, had to acclimatise to the weather a bit more than some of the other animals that would have been born in zoos in, in the UK or Ireland. So uh, I suppose the, the first real exotic species that came down to photo were actually Syriopsis geese. And these were bred in photo for probably six or seven generations. And they adapted quite well to the environment. Well, speaking of breeding, that's what we're all about today. We're going to look at some of the breeding programmes you're involved with, not just here in Ireland. Some are local, but most are international programmes. So talk to me a little bit about the breeding programmes. We, we are members of the um, European Association of Zoos and Aquaria. There's about 380 zoos have come together to form an association with the idea of saving species, not only in the wild, but saving animals in captivity so that they can repopulate back into the wild. So a number of the species that we would have been involved in sending to the wild would be uh, the European bison would be probably the biggest species. And we have sent animals from, from Fota bred in photo to Poland for release into the wild, into, into Romania, into the UK, northern Spain, and uh, more recently, Azerbaijan. So it's a variety of species, say, from Europe. Uh, we have animals from, from Africa. Um, we have animals from Asia. Uh, we currently have elongated tortoises in a tropical house that back in 2014, when we when we first got them, were considered to be least concerned in the wild and, and not really under any great threat. Within eight years, they had become critically endangered in the wild due to the trade for tortoises in the Far East. Thing, things can change for species in the wild very quickly. Uh, we, we've seen that with pangolins. But we, we have seen it with uh, a lot of other species. So what we see 
would, would um, the wildlife park and the other zoos that are in these breeding programs see them as a reservoir to prevent the extinction in the wild. So species like the European bison, uh, scimitar horned oryx that we'd have sent back to the wild, other species, even white-tailed sea eagles we've sent to the Middle East in, in the, on the Golden Heights, which have bred also in the wild. And then there's native species that we're assisting with, like the natterjack toad, were involved in, a, in, a, in an augmentation program that's to try and boost the wild population because the um, habitat that they're in in Ireland is under threat and a lot of the, the ponds that they would normally have bred in are not forming the same way as they used to a number of years ago, particularly last year where, in fact, very few ponds in the sand dunes in Kerry where these toads are found. And we've reared and released over 7,000 back to the wild. In some species, it's only a few, and in others, it's a thousand. The smaller the species, you need more volumes and numbers to actually have some sort of an impact in the ecology and habitat. Sean, the highest calling of a zoo, a modern zoo, it seems to me, is to raise animals and return them to the wild. You are a stud book holder. In other words, you are the controlling authority over northern cheetahs. For instance, you're looking at what genes are short in the population and where in the various zoos cheetahs with the missing genes the ones you want are are available now you then have to act presumably and get onto these zoos and ask them to transfer females or males as the case may be is that the process the process comes from you a stud book holder or does it come from some remote body such as the government of azerbaijan in the case of bison the captive breeding aspect for the northern cheetah we oversee that in photo, uh, and particularly me, I, I oversee it. And at the moment, I'm currently making, at a stage where we're making recommendations for transfers of animals from different zoos. Sometimes people contact us and say they want to set up a breeding area for cheetahs. We give them advice and then we, we would send suitable animals, some maybe from photo, maybe some from another zoo in France that are less related, or even some would come from the Middle East, from breeding centres out there. We would need to have a self-sustaining population over 80 to 100 years. And, and that's usually the aim with most of these captive breeding programmes. You're trying to keep as much diversity uh, uh, of those in the population. It's not like, um, say, farming, where you're selecting for for certain traits, we do quite the opposite. We try and keep the diversity of traits as high as possible. And they're actually computer models enable us to do that. So we put in the parents of the animals, their offspring, and then we're, we're able for, for the different lineages within the cheetah population, we're able to say that animal is not related to this. Or, you know, sometimes we put in a stud book number and it, it'll give us 20 animals that are not as related to this particular animal and, and would be suitable to breed with it. It's come on a long way in the last 20, 30 years, uh, and it's very much more technical. In a lot of cases, we're dealing with populations that are in the wild and in captivity and are ma managed in almost a similar way. It's a, a plan under the IUCN, which is the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, 
Uh, and the plan is called a one-plan approach, so it involves the animals that are in, in captivity, which is the ex-situ population, and the in-situ population, which is the wild population. And in some cases, the wild population can be down to, to, to quite small numbers. With cheetahs, there is a small population of Asiatic cheetahs in Iran. There's probably 15 to 20 of those left. But the problem that they're now experiencing is that they will have high inbreeding. So each of those animals are quite related to each other and that causes health issues, etc. The chances of those becoming extinct is very, very high. But to, to try and save those, you'd be taking cheetahs from the next related population as genetically similar to that population and the cheetah population that I manage is the northern cheetah and they are recognised as being the most suitable for helping out in a situation perhaps in Iran where cheetahs still exist but are highly inbred. Sean, obviously the great work being done at FOTA in terms of bringing back species from the brink and saving threatened animals, I would assume at least that a lot of your visitors are going there for entertainment reasons. How important is it to you to educate those visitors about the great work that you're doing and also about the plight that those species and others face in the wild? It's extremely important because you're, what you're trying to do is change you know, change the, the public behaviour, their thoughts and willingness to change what they're doing on a day-to-day basis to change the environment. So you're, you're trying to get the, the respect for the animal as well uh, as just just looking at it. You want to get them to appreciate how important it is to keep the species in the wild and that it is prospering in the wild. It isn't on the verge of extinction and if you're, that you're, you need to keep each species going and prevent them from extinct, becoming extinct because if one species can have an, an, an enormous, if it goes extinct, can have an enormous effect on the other animals in that habitat or, or the ecology of the environment that the other species live in. For instance, if the European bison, they have a huge beneficial aspect to them because they, they, they manage forests. They literally debark trees and the trees will die. They'll be able to open up areas of forest. In, in, in summer, they will eat the more succulent species like birch and sally and willow and other species like conifers in the wintertime, they will eat those. They can alter the environment, not just to suit them, but to make it much more diverse. You have a better quality ecosystem, more species in it, a, a better diversity of species as well, because they're great architects in the management of the habitat. And I was listening to something today with corncrakes in Scotland, Western Scotland, that Highland cattle that are used there to to actually manage the habitat. They're the best species to actually do that. 